Hey, welcome to Cameras or Whatever, the podcast for the working photographer. I am Tyler Stallman. And I am Cameron Whitman. What you been up to this week? Working. I think I that last, that's the... Last few weeks. I don't even want to admit that we were late, but you know. Yeah, sorry about that. Sometimes people it takes who, a while. People who care. Sorry about our lateness. We've, uh, that's really, it's the, the point of the name of the podcast, right? Or the podcast for working photographers is because we are <laughs> working. working. What were you working on? I've been going crazy, man. I have this huge client shoot that's coming up and it's very expansive. I mean, they want to end with like 50 images, but it's, it's a commercial lifestyle and it's just, it's really, it's these things, these things are tough, man. They're so hard to work out because like, you know, in the end, you know, you look at their budget and you're like, wow, they actually, what they're telling me that they want is actually cheaper. Basically, they're asking me for images that would be cheaper, exclusive images with no rights for the outtakes or anything like that, cheaper than what they could license them for mm-hmm. exclusively. And right. it's like, I don't know, man. There's just these moments where you're like, do I even bother? Why am I doing this? <laughs> yeah. You know, like, and then on the other hand, I'm like, ah, oh, this, this would be a good shoot to, to have under the belt. But like, in the end, it's a good amount of money. But like, I just feel like for the amount of what they're asking for, it's a big deal. But so I, I'm, you know, I'm, I've been weighing that and trying to balance that. And then um, over at Stocksy, we uh, started the call to artists, as you're aware of. So that's had me quite busy. Yeah, that uh, that can take up all of your time if you wanted it to. Yeah, like a lifetime. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then I've had a couple, um, a couple smaller shoots, uh, a headshot shoot, and um, I just actually just finished a shoot with a uh, with a musician friend of mine, this local. And that went that went really well. So you've been busy in a lot of very different ways. Completely different ways. It's really it's 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 a it's an interesting challenge, you know. And I think that that it's an interesting thing to to talk about because when you're balancing these completely different things that are all related under the umbrella of what you do as a profession, they're related, but they're so different that it's like you have to literally jump track and keep your momentum. And it's, uh, it gets intense. Some of the stuff that I've been busy with this week has been making me think about, and it, I think it relates to what you've been working on, how strange it is the way that you end up, I guess, pricing things for clients or evaluating like what a job is worth. Because there, there's jobs that we've been working on that we charge a day rate for versus a f- flat project rate, let's say. Mm-hmm. Or, or there are different types of jobs as well, especially event jobs versus a uh, like editorial style job and it's really interesting how how much less money you can make doing a certain kind of client work for mm-hmm. more time yeah you know what i mean like there are just kinds of photography that you can sink in twice as much time but your 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 rate doesn't increase at all You're, you know like certain kinds of photography coming from the same photographer can just be much less valuable to the client and that's just part of the game. Like, there's no way that you can, you know, say definitively all of the time, I am worth $100 an hour. Yeah. Because sometimes I'm worth a lot more than $100 an hour. For and sure. sometimes I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, well, you know, there's just yeah, no way you have one job. There was one day that we were shooting two jobs for two totally different clients. And, um, we spent a similar amount of them of time on each one, one in the morning, one in the evening. And, and one of them, paid four times the rate wow. than the other, but it still like made sense. Like we were still pricing it according to what they were. Like, I don't think they were strange pricing and I don't want to go into the details of it, but <laughs> right. yeah, I, I, that's just crazy to me. Like I, I, while I'm planning it and quoting on it, it all makes sense. And like, this is, this, this all works. And I think it, it is appropriately priced. But then at the end of the day, I look back and I'm like, how did that, how does that happen? <laughs> so, yeah. That's strange. It is. Yeah, I, I struggle with it, and that's uh, that's exactly the kind of thing that like I look to my my wife and business partner and say like, help, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, well, uh, yeah, how I'm much so am I worth? <laughs> there's two of us working on this kind of thing because you just need a sanity check sometimes. Before, mm-hmm. when I worked by myself, I would I would just call friends all the time. Is the first time I'm working for a certain kind of client, I'd always say like, what. What do you charge for this? Like what what makes sense? Am I crazy for quoting this much? Is it too much? Too little? Mm-hmm. And a lot of those, a lot of the factors are, you know, like it's, it's some of it is market value, obviously, but like you don't want to like undervalue your your local market. Yeah. Um, 
But you also have to consider like, you know, like what your, your overhead is, you know, like your, your cost of doing business, you know, mm-hmm. like these are things that, that you have to factor in. Like you have to consider like how much, you know, you're going to eat that month and like, you know, how much rent you pay. And, you know, these all, these are all factors that have to be considered in, in how you charge. We decided that we will be doing a whole episode about this. This is a, a, one of the things coming up soon. We keep talking about that. We'll do an episode about pricing your work, mm-hmm. but we always kind of back down because it's such a big topic. It's like we need to be mentally prepared and, uh, you know, had enough coffee that morning to dive into. It's a hard a, one. Yeah. You know? And I mean, I think that like we'd almost, we almost have to like compartmentalize to like, well, what would, what's a fair rate for, for this type of job? Mm-hmm. Um, and even that can get, can get really different because I mean, you have to think about who your client is, you know, like, you know, just because, you know, it, it, and I think of it like this, right? I just shot a musician friend of mine and I, you know, he's an artist. I know he doesn't have that much money. So I'm not going to charge him as much as I would, oh, you know, like for sure. There's no way you can quote for, musicians i mean there's always band shoots to do there's always a band that needs photos mm-hmm. and none of them will be able to pay what a commercial client would no not even close even so you know and you, you have to like make that decision you're like okay so i'm gonna am i gonna do this because like i appreciate what they're doing do i like you know do i want to support their art by making myself available to them mm-hmm. you know and i generally say yes but like <laughs> I I have a real hang up about it. Like I'll only do band shots if I know them and if like I'm friends with them. Yeah. I've I've gone the other way. I've basically just stopped doing band shots unless they're willing to pay us our basic or almost our full rate. <laughs> yeah, and then that's 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 a decision that you have mm-hmm. to make, right? So like you know, I don't we don't uh, advertise at all right now, but like we have, you know, we hadn't been advertising for for doing musician shots. Um, because I kept getting, you know, talk, you know, tied up in these, in these conversations with these musicians that I didn't know and I didn't like their music. And it was just, man, it was like, that was just not, I think it's, it's because I, I, I love music so much that like, I just can't do it mm-hmm. unless there's a level of respect because I'm not going to be able to do my thing legitimately with them unless I respect them. Yeah. Yeah. I totally know what you mean. I also find though that there's a, I have a really hard time doing a band shoot at all because escaping the cliche is a really big challenge. And I think unless you have an idea, like you, you've got a concept to turn this into more than just a band shoot. I'm not interested in going to the train tracks again and uh, getting them to stand against a brick wall. You know, I just don't need to take that photo ever again. And they don't need it either. No, nobody does. And I don't know. Like I was actually um, finding a lot of inspiration in, in classic stuff, you know, like the old Annie Leibovitz and you know stuff like that. Like mm-hmm. um, just because, like you know, with with a with a musician, if it's a, if it's a, like a singer songwriter, you know, like how are you gonna, you know, express it? You know what I mean? I think that there's there's not really that many ways that you can do it in a way that that like retains their honesty. <laughs> well, what I never get sick of is studio portraits, though. I would shoot, mm-hmm. I'd shoot like a studio headshot kind of thing. That's what we just did. Like that that that's totally always enjoyable for me, and I feel like it's timeless. It's not. It doesn't look like a band photo. It doesn't jump out at you as a band photo. Exactly. It just looks like a, a portrait. Yeah, you know, and it, and, but it looks striking, you yeah. know, and you can be creative in a lot of simple ways. You don't need, to, you don't need to be conceptually creative to take a, an original studio portrait. You know, you don't need them right. to like hold, put a fish on their head and uh, you know, do whatever. Just, and hopefully um, you're not putting a fish on their head. <laughs> just, you just need to light it correctly and, or not correctly, but in an interesting way and have them posing and suitably. Way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, oh man. So yeah, I, so I just did that and I, I I'm just going to say it again. I know that I, I like I broke a record on this thing, but, um, man, that Sigma 50 is just, Oh yeah. So this, is this what you were shooting with the Sigma? Yeah, I was just doing, yeah, I, I shot a couple shots with the 35 and then I went back to the 50 and like, I was kind of going back and forth, but the 50 is like where it's at. Uh, yes, it well, definitely is. What, um, what, what stood out? about it to you that's just the sharpness it's not just the sharpness it's it's also the 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 contrast you know Mm -hmm. like most of them you know they're they're done with uh with strobes but i'm shooting it like uh mostly between two and four Mm -hmm. and it's just the contrast and the sharpness is just 
it's notable. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like it's like it, you just can't even, you know, if you, if you shoot a lot of 35 millimeter, like historically, you're just not used to this type of sharpness. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's just, that's where I'm, you know, that's where I'm at is I'm looking at this and I'm just like, this is like abnormal. Yeah. This it, is it, what I would expect from medium format. Yeah. It's what I always imagined a tech sharp lens could be, you know, and I've started realizing that when you are reading people on the internet and they say anything is tack sharp, mm-hmm. it, just disregard it. Cause nobody knows what tack sharp means. I've not I've, until now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I've seen it on so many lens reviews in the past and people use it for like, you know, consumer entry level lenses and for the pro zoom lenses and for pro prime lenses. Like people will say things are tack sharp and you know what they usually are not <laughs> unless right. they're in their perfect environment. Uh, you know, say strobe lighting and they're at F eight and all that. Well, and I think that that's even an interesting thing to, to debate is like, you know, when you have a, like a pro, uh, even now, maybe just a consumer or a prosumer lens, some of those lenses are, are really sharp, but because of the, the, the poor build quality and, and lens curvature or whatever, I'm not very <laughs> learned in that. Sciencey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but, you know, like I can tell the difference between like a really amazing lens and, oh. and, and a crappy one. And like a crappy one might be like, really really sharp but like the way that it that it puts everything together like between the contrast and and the way that it compresses the you know whatever the features are of your subject like it's it's just a mile apart you know i think it's interesting that the contrast jumps out at you from the 50 because that isn't a quality of good lenses that i spend any time being concerned about it is to me as long as it's um to an acceptable point, like as long as it's not bad, which I know when the contrast looks bad from a lens, but as long as it's good, I stop thinking about it. It's, it's just kind of a non um, concern of mine. Now, is that because you feel that you have enough control in post-processing I, to be able to, to work around that? No, I, I just don't think about it. <laughs> it's not, it doesn't even go that deep. I'm just like, unless, unless it's distracting me and I'm like, Oh, I can clearly see a loss of contrast. I just, it's not like the attribute I'm looking for because typically it's not the strongest effect of contrast on the image because the, the lighting can be a much will have a stronger impact on the, the contrast ratio between you know lights and darks in the image. Mm-hmm. And then also the processing, like the processing would, will often determine a lot of how contrasty it is. Like I'm not going to let it out the door without setting the contrast to a point that I'm happy with. Right. So I just don't put the thought in at the lens stage. Whereas sharpness, you can't undo the blurriness or the aberrations or the you know the 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 those those sharp qualities. You can't fix it. You can't sharpen an image to be sharper than the lens was. Really, you can fake no, it, but can't. it's not no. the same. But it looks crappy. Yeah, it's it's there is a very clear difference. Yeah, and and people like us see that difference immediately. So stop faking it. <laughs> so people are crazy on the internet because I've seen so many people say like you can fix anything in post. You don't need, I don't know. You just you can, you can see you all can't. processing. <laughs> like there's there's almost everything. nothing you can process in a way that doesn't give itself away that it was a process fix. Like just fix it with the light, like light it properly, and that's how you fix it. I totally agree with you, and I feel like at this stage of my. Um, occupational career like i know what the heck i'm talking about <laughs> like I, i've seen so much i like to think i do uh, I, don't, I don't know if i do you know actually a time I, I kind of see i see an effect that relates to the contrast um, and the sharpness that i dislike is when you put a bad filter on a, a lens like a, a you know a cheap uv um, for example, mm-hmm. like when there's glass between your lens and the real world that isn't great, then I can see it kind of sucks some something, some life force out of the photo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I actually I stopped using those things. Yeah, I did too, and I reluctantly, I, I I don't really trust myself with lenses. Like I'm very worried about them constantly. I really don't want them to get scratched, and I'm constantly nervous. But they they have way too much effect. I can see, I can tell that they're on. I can always tell when I look at the photos afterwards, like, yeah, that had a yep. UV filter on it. For and sure. that's not okay. No, the worst <laughs> is, is ghosting. This is how you uh-huh. know 
that it's there or not is if it's at all dark and you have a strong light source. So like I say, a dark room with candles is really obvious or at night when cars are coming at you, you'll oh. see a ref- reflection of the same thing, like in the Bouncing top right corner, from the filter. Like totally in a different place in the image. And it's all from the filter and it's really obvious. Yeah. I'm not into that. Yeah. That's why we pay extra for, for a quality lens in the first yeah. place. So like, why would you put like a lesser than piece of glass in front of that lens? But, and I've, I've seen this happen with also relatively expensive UV filters too. Mm. I'm not buying the most expensive, but I also don't cheap out. I kind of get, I don't know, mid-range. I don't even remember what brand because I'm not using them. So they're just sitting in a shelf. Yeah, I, ha- I have like a, a, a couple B&W. Yeah. <laughs> yeah as far true. as I know, that's you totally. Know, pretty I mean, high. It should be good enough. You're spending enough money that these should not have any issues, but I've never been satisfied with them. They are clearly degrading the image. Yes. Yeah. I totally agree with you. And in the end, I just can't afford to have that that, that loss or that risk. Even, yeah, so. exactly. I can't afford that loss, and I'm insured on the lens. So if I drop it, like I'm insured. <laughs> you know so what? I, I'm not. What I've yeah. been doing is keeping lens hoods on now. I actually was not using. I was only using a hood if I had to for mm-hmm. years and years and years. But the last few months, since I had a small uh, incident with one lens, I would you call that a small incident? <laughs> yeah, well, I had an incident, and I just keep the hoods on full time now because it can take a lot of the shock. If you, if you drop it at certain angles, you know, I mean, some angles it would still take, take the impact, but, um, a lens hood can save a lens in a lot of situations. I could see that. I haven't, I haven't, I can't say that I've had that happen. Like I've dropped three lenses, (laughs) but each time was, was, were you uh, juggling them? Is that why there's three? uh, No, (laughs) Twice was in, in the studio, and it was so stupid because it was before I had triggers, and like I was always, I was still using cape like PC cables to to uh, trip the 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 strobes, and so like I I would set it down and then I would like walk and I'd trip over the cord and like so this happened twice and um, <laughs> one time. I had a I had a filter on on it was on a fifty millimeter and I had a filter on it and broke the filter and I was like oh that's I've heard this story before mm-hmm. and you know I was just like oh well the lens is fine there was nothing at all wrong with it you know and this is years ago so I've had plenty of opportunity to to like test that theory and uh, and then there was another time that like <laughs> really it was it was a harder one to deal with because the same thing happened but it was with my one hundred five portrait lens. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have the the Nikon uh, 105 f2 defocus control. I've told you about this one before. Yeah, We've this talked about this lens. One. I barely understand. Yeah, and it's 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 a beautiful lens. And uh, you know, I it it fell and it fell a little bit farther than than the 50 did. And um, it you know like it busted the the filter. There was a filter on that too, and it busted that filter. But it also bent um, the the hood. Mm-hmm. And so the hood on that, like the 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 front element is is recessed like a couple inches, yeah, which is great, right? Because it protects it all on its own. Um, but now I can't put a filter on that lens at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you know, so like in, in terms of resale value, like the lens is is screwed. But um, in terms of like absolute lens quality, it, nothing is wrong with it. And like I'm actually kind of glad that this happened because I, I had considered selling it again a couple times. Now you're stuck with it. Yeah. Now way. I'm like now. Yeah. Totally. And you know, like I've um, I don't I don't know if you do this, but like I kind of you know go in and out of of lenses. You know, like I'll I'll have a period with it, and I'll be like, yeah, this is it. This is where I'm at. And then you know, like I'll get bored with it, and I'll put it down, and I'll start using something else. Completely. Yeah. Yeah. And then I'll come back to it, and I'll be like, oh, I'm so glad I still have you. You know, because there's a lot of moments where, you know, like I'm juggling gear and I'm thinking like, you know, oh God, I really want to try that new lens. I've definitely had lenses that I've had lenses that I put up for sale. It mm. didn't really sell. And then I just start using it a lot later. So, yeah, I just had that again, actually, yeah. because I was going to sell my um, my 85 millimeter tilt shift. And um, yeah, my 90 millimeter tilt shift was the one I was thinking of. Yeah, and so I was going to sell it and put it on the market, and nobody was interested. And I started thinking, like, you know, well, I don't know. Like, do I really need to get rid of it? Yeah, I, I use it probably once a month. It's it's special cases, some some weird reason, but then I'm glad I have it. So my That's drop. Insane. I want to tell you my dropping stories, though. Mm-hmm. That I a long time ago, um, I, I've only had two bad dropping incidents. 
one time, and but I've had a lot of almosts because of this. And the first one was because the lens release button had just been depressed enough that the lens had become loose and I hadn't realized. So it was not locked anymore. Right. Oh. You know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah. It's just like sitting in the thread, but it's not clicked in and it's not that hard to accidentally press the release button and just, and, and bump the lens at the same time. Um, it doesn't happen often, but it definitely can right. happen. And, uh, a few times I've noticed, I've just been, I'm holding my lens and all of a sudden I hear a click and I realize it wasn't, it had become disconnect, disengaged at oh. some point. Um, so that one time that did lead to a drop and there was a filter on filter became completely bent. Um, but I was able to take it off and, and the lens was fine after that. Um, and since then it hasn't caused a drop, but it freaks the hell out of me. And there's really nothing you can do to ahead of time or they, they, you can't tape the lens to your camera. I mean, you got to trust <laughs> that connection, but it's, it's not that hard to, to loosen it, at least with the, the five D's, I guess. Yeah, I guess it's, I, I'm, I'm sitting here trying to, to imagine that and I'm thinking, man, on all of my Nikons, like it feels like that last turn that you have to make to, before it clicks mm-hmm. is tight. You know, like, and, and I like that. I like how it, you know, like it right. feels like you have to, like, you're like, like you're screwing, like you're tightening a screw or something right. yeah. and you hear it, then you hear it click and you just, you know, you know, it's solid. Well, I haven't had the, I believe in all the cases, it's not been that I didn't screw it. It's that the release is too delicate. It's too easily released. Oh. Um, then the most recent drop was completely my fault. I just was picking up two cameras at once in one hand. I did not have like by the straps and one of the straps I didn't have in the way I thought and it fell and did severe damage and we replaced the lens. <laughs> that sucks a yeah, lot. It really sucked. Insurance. Yeah, totally. What do you do? So, what, yeah, what should I the, do with a, a, a broken lens? Do you think experiment? <laughs> sure. Yeah, take it underwater. I mean, why not? You know, I mean, I don't know about taking it underwater specifically, but like, why not? Do something completely weird with it and see see what you can get. Hmm. You can turn it into a lamp. It's not completely you know, broken, by the way. The internals are the fo- the focusing mechanism is inaccurate. None of the glass is damaged. None of the the body is not damaged. Um, it is just completely inaccurate now. So, and that's not good. That's actually not very useful. At all. No, <laughs> I could probably manual focus it. I didn't really test that actually. I'm gonna take a second look at it. There's this, uh, I'm going to do a little shout out here or name drop, however you want. Mm-hmm. Um, we have this photographer at Stocksy and his name is Dustin Adams and he uh, only shoots film and he does this. Um, it's so cool. Like he, he has pretty much every shot that he submits has like these really epic light leaks. And, um, you know, he just, he just recently submitted some new ones. So it was great to see him back in the queue. And like this guy, yeah, how does he make those happen? I don't know. <laughs> it's not. It's not fake. No, it's not fake, man. It's all thirty-five millimeter. It's all in the film, and and like it's just legit, and it's just like the neatest thing because it's, you know, you think about like how, how do you manage that? Like especially for every shot, like how do you like what did he do to his camera? He just has a really broken his camera, <laughs> and it's so good. Yeah. Like because like it's not just the the effect. It's like the. The placement of the effect on the photo that he's that he's doing it on, like it's you it's, know, it's all mean, there, man. Maybe maybe he has a roll of nice leaks and he's uh, spreading it out. I don't want to speculate though; that's just a guess. But if uh, you know, why not? It's, not it's cool, man. Like all I keep thinking looking, about it is super cool. Yeah, and I just keep thinking, like, oh man, it's just like that's why you you know experiment with with different cameras mm-hmm. and like you find out like you know, what its flaws are and, and, and also it's, it's, you know, it's uh benefits or whatever, but like, you have to like weigh those things out and decide, you know, is this, you know, what can I use this for? Hmm. It's like that. Um, I have that, that Voigtlander baby best at 66 and, uh, it's, it's a really almost impossibly difficult camera to use. Cause it's just, it's really inconvenient, you know, cause you have to like have a meter and you have to guess the focus and, uh, it's. I've discovered that it's insanely easy to forget to wind to the next. <laughs> right. Yeah. So like I, I've you know this last roll has taken me like two months to shoot, 
And the reason why is because like in the 12 exposures that are on this, like I've probably shot about 30 images on the 12 exposures because oh I just keep forgetting to wrote to, to, to set an alarm or something. Yeah. And so then I started thinking about that and I was like, Oh wow. And then like, I had remembered that I was like, I had this, this short phase where I was really interested in uh, Harry Callahan. Um, and I know that you're not <laughs> well versed on your on your historical f- photographers, but this guy's awesome. You know, he's just so good, and he did all these um, he did these these really cool abstracts with with uh, you know, and you don't know what kind of camera it is. It looks like it's medium format, but you don't you know who knows. I don't. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I just realized it was just like, oh man, you could do stuff like this with this camera. Like it would be easy, not easy, but like you know. You could do some really interesting multiple exposure stuff with it. Um, I don't know if you if you're if you're aware of this, but like on the back of a, a roll of one twenty film, there are these. Uh, it, it's numbered, right? Mm-hmm. So you can so some yeah, of these older cameras you can yeah so you can see the number through the through a window, but there's also uh, a series of of circles that that lead up to the number, right? So like you so can you know how close you are, yeah, to the and you can like the next frame. Exactly. And you can do like these like stopgap, you know, type of exposures like or you could do like a like a uh, I, I guess like a like a panoramic, you know, just by oh, like moving the moving oh, yeah, the film like a little bit at a time and like pulling something together. You know what I think is really interesting is I've seen Annie uh, Leibovitz do that for um, medium format film, like her wide shots or wide group shots. Mm-hmm. she'll do composites of a bunch of film shots. Um, and I've seen it where they're just stacked, right? Like they just scan in all the photos so they look lined up. But I th- I think somebody also stitches them together sometimes. Like they do a real composite out of film, which I find really interesting. Um, yeah, every time that's... I see her shooting in, in videos, she's mixing analog and digital still, I think. I think she's still like, we'll take a few shots on digital and a few shots on film. Hmm. Um. I don't know. I don't know if that's always or just the videos I happen to have seen, but but I, yeah. Really when when I assisted her, it looked like it was just um, five Ds, but oh yeah. Okay. I mean, th- that was just that one shoot, though. Like yeah, I don't, yeah. you know. I think that you know, if if there's a job and it requires like this, then you're yeah. only going to take that. So you well, know. you know, if I had five Ds and uh, medium format cameras and film medium format, if I had anything available to me, I would be choosing a different camera for most shoots. <laughs> You know, I'd probably alternate f- through a few different things to specialize um, for that exact image. Totally, I, I love it. You yeah. know, that's I, I, I'm. It's it's hard though because like you know when your when your reputation is on the line or whatever. Oh yeah, you want to be comfortable and know your yeah. gear. And, you know. Yeah, but you so, can get to know th- three cameras pretty well. Like I'm, I think sure. I already know three cameras at this point. Yeah, I I I, I feel the same. You know, yeah. um, and that's actually it's funny because like you know I have. Uh, you know, geek friends, photo friends that I talk to about this stuff all the time. And, uh, you know, we talk about this camera, that camera, and this camera. And like, well, why do you like that one? And it's like, you know, you talk about the reasons. And I always, I always say like, well, have you learned it yet? Well, what do you mean? Like, well, have you learned the, the individual characteristics of that specific camera? Mm-hmm. Because everyone has something different to offer. And that's what's so exciting about having all these different film cameras. Well, is that, I, like, I think some people would be surprised that we, you know, I shoot Canon, you shoot Nikon, but we never really talk about that on the show or argue about it mm-hmm. because it's not interesting to me unless we were both very well versed in each camera. Mm-hmm. You know, I have to be able to really competently pull out a Nikon and take exactly the shot that I want to have any commentary on it. Otherwise, my my feedback isn't interesting if I just don't get it. You know, yeah. if it's my fault that I don't understand how to use it, and that's the case. If I pick up a Nikon, I am completely lost, and it's not because Nikon suck; it's my fault. So, mm-hmm. yeah, and I mean, I think that that's I that's the thing. That's why I'm so frustrated by digital cameras, like digital SLRs. Is like, yeah, they're amazing. They do everything perfectly. <laughs> and that's kind of the problem is that they Super become perfect. somewhat boring. Like I, I love that I can rely on it professionally, you know, cause when it's needed, like I need that assurance and that's brilliant. And I love that. And I'm not going to discount that, but like, you know, when it comes down to just being creative, like I get bored right? real easy. Cause you don't want to just add light leaks in Photoshop. 
I don't want to ever <laughs> add anything like that ever. You know, there's an app for that. I There is. There's too many apps mm-hmm. for that. And so whenever I see those things added, you know, as an afterthought, I'm just like, nah, meh. Boring. Yeah. And it's not even like sometimes it really works, you know, and like I'm I'm not trying to begrudge that, you know, like if you if you use something and it works, then hooray. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's way more exciting when you see something like Dustin's shots and you see that, that it's he, there's some kind of magic that he's doing right, right. mechanically or physically. Mm-hmm. And that's way more exciting to me. Yeah, I, I you know? completely agree. Not that it wasn't amazing that, that like some, um, you know, developers were able to, to craft these things in, into a software. I mean, that's pretty awesome, too. On a you know just in a purely creative sense, like somebody was able to to create a program that mimicked these things like fairly close, mm-hmm. but from you know a creating an art a piece of art like I just you know it doesn't excite me anymore, and it did a couple of years ago. I was thrilled by it. Now I'm bored. I've got a big project I'm working on and thinking about a lot. Do you want me to tell you about it? Yes, it's a video project. Nice. <laughs> you still want me to tell you? No, um, I, I think it's cool. I basically have a, uh, the, the biggest commercial video client I've uh, had so far where we have a real budget to work with. Um, and especially not for me, like that's, this is why I'm excited is because the budget is for production value stuff. So, so, so often there's this battle for like, I, you know, I want to be paid what I'm worth and I, the, the client doesn't have much to work with. So, the costs, you have to find places to cut costs. So you kind of just work with the gear you already own or you borrow some from a friend. You can't hire the the team that you would like to work with because you're, you're kind of already taking cut yourself. And it is really exciting for me that we're going to just have rental and production costs. Mm-hmm. So the uh, thing I've been going through today actually was I, I was hiring um, a gaffer. Uh, do you know what a gaffer is? Yeah. And I've never worked with one. And this is totally exciting to me. And basically somebody that I can be like, look, I am not a technical expert about models of lights and how I want to rig them up specifically. I just know what I want the texture of the light to be and the quality of the light and um, how I want it to interact in the shot. But I need somebody to help me actually execute that. And I'm really excited that I can get a professional to show up with, we're, we're hopefully going to rent a truck, actually a van that is preloaded with a bunch of, uh, Kino flows and HMIs. And then I'm going to have somebody help me set them up in exactly the places I ask them to. Wow. <laughs> so I'm really excited for that. I would be too. Yeah. It's like, it's the, the concept of the shoot is, you know, it's not all that exciting. It's a commercial client, uh, pretty straightforward. Um, and visually it's going to be quite straightforward. It's in an office, but just being able to work in this environment for me is, feels like a really big deal. So, yeah, I think that you and I have that in common that we've almost always done things all on our own, haven't we? Yeah. Yeah. Or with, you know, with friends or, you know, with us work with our wives as well. But without like, Um, but not with like a a crew, a production crew. Yeah. Yeah. And I have, uh, assistant sometime. I'm um, like, so I've mentioned Alan before, I think that is kind of our, you know, intern slash assistant and he's around yes. and has helped on some shoots, but yeah, I'm usually shooting in a way that I'm not dependent on anyone else. Usually I'm shooting in a way that I could have done it myself. I just need an extra set of hands and I'm keeping it pretty simple, but this time I'm actually going to make it more complicated than I could do by myself. That's exciting, man. Yeah. So like that, that makes out. me, yeah, I want to do that. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be cool. It's surprisingly cheap to rent video production gear though. Like the van is uh, for this, the, 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 the bigger one, which I thought I was going to have to get was is $750 a day, um, oh. which is fully loaded. So you get a van and like, you know, six banks of kinos and a bunch of HMIs and uh, all the C stands you want and flags and uh, soft boxes for, for 750. Yeah. It's, God, it's fully that's loaded. Amazing. And then the one I'm going to get is 450 and it comes with less. So like two, four foot Kino banks, two, two foot banks, like two HMIs, something like that. And then 
but then all this, also all the accessories, it's got sandbags, it's got the, all the stuff that I don't want to haul out of my studio and into the car, then back out of the car and into the, you know, like it's just there and somebody else already counted it and made sure it's. Um, when you think about all those factors and then you think about the price that you're paying to rent it, mm-hmm. that makes so much more oh, sense. God. Yeah. It feels very, like, very worth it at this moment. Yeah. Like, cause I mean, yeah, you just rent it whenever you whenever you want to get you know a little bit bigger. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> or if you have a client that yeah, if you have, if your client's like you know we want to do this, then you can offer that up. Mm-hmm. That's brilliant. And uh, another exciting part of it is that I quoted the rental prices with a prep day, and that is not something I've ever done before, and I think might make a really huge difference. So it's it's a day that we're just going to have all the rental stuff, and we're going to look at it and play with it and make sure it's working. And because last time I rented a, um, a, a gimbal, so like a motion control rig, and on the day of, it was vibrating pretty often. Like not, not the whole time it didn't ruin the shoot, but it kept vibrating. And it wasn't until afterwards that I figured out why. And if I just had time before, a day before, to work out all the kinks and make sure I know what's going on, um, it would have gone a long way. So I'm, I'm also really happy about that planning period being included so that's cool yeah i'll uh i'll let you know how it goes i want to see the difference yeah well hopefully it's there and i'm gonna shoot it on an fs7 which i've, I've talked about on the show before i think it's um a really amazing mid-range camera mm-hmm. mid-range being you know it's ten thousand dollars or eight thousand um but for for video that's like very reasonable uh, and I had looked into getting a red, which would have actually been a very visible difference. I would have loved to, but you need to take a, like a little red course and it's quite a bit more expensive and you need a lot more media and it's going to take a lot more hard drive space afterwards. And I decided it was too risky as a first time yeah. bigger production shoot. Like I'm this time I'll worry about the lighting, get the lighting mm-hmm. amazing, work with the camera I'm comfortable with. And then, you know, maybe next time I'll get a red. That's something to work for. Yeah. Uh, so I've been thinking about that lately and planning for that. And then another thing that came out was finally that review for the 50 millimeter 1.8 STM. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, which we did with Jordan. He was on the show a little while ago, but the video only came out now. So if you haven't seen it to follow up from that previous episode, uh, just Google the camera store TV and, and go to their YouTube channel. And uh, it's, it's in there for the 50 millimeter. Um nice. Yeah, it's 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 cool because they have a uh, quite an audience. So the the it's there's been a lot of comments and conversation around it, and it was cool. That's to, awesome to see that. So now I'm gonna be working on my YouTube channel again. I uh, am working on the first video on there in a long time, the first gear video. But I started shooting it. I'm halfway done, and uh, I, I don't know. Maybe this was gonna be my pick, but I'm gonna just like jump to it right now. I got a new camera. <laughs> No, what? Really? Yeah, yeah. I'm like, what? That's my job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm What'd stealing all your thunder. <laughs> What'd you get? Uh, well, and I should say it was just a, a surprise present from Anya. I came home and it was sitting on my desk because we, we'd oh. kind of been talking about it and then it was there. So That's beautiful. Uh, <laughs> which has a bit, there's some self-interest for her as well because it's going to be our, basically our vlogging camera. Um, we've been doing okay. more videos for her as well, for her blog. And I'm going to be using it for talking about cameras and we needed something that had autofocus. That was the biggest thing is the 5Ds still don't have autofocus and we didn't want to get a whole DSLR for this kind of thing. So we got the Canon G7X, which is what uh, was just kind of widely recommended amongst YouTube vloggers. And wow, when you just search for it, search for a sample video of somebody switching between any previous point and shoot camera the mm-hmm. video quality and then the, the how the video quality changes when they move to this this new camera and it is amazing it feels sharper than the 5D it's it looks so good i am incredibly happy with it that's really neat yeah but the stills are still just a point and shoot <laughs> yeah do do you have do you use a digital point and shoot much at all i don't remember yeah, I have the X100 so i don't know oh, yeah, if you okay. could i don't I know if you that, kind of i count exactly. that as a real camera that's a real camera. Yeah. yeah. So no, I mean, in, in terms of what you're talking about, no, I don't play with that. Mm. Well, it, it's too frustrating to me because like, at that point, I'd rather use my iPhone. Sure. Yeah. Well, the way that we were doing it before, we had a G16, 
which so we just sold it once we got this one, mm-hmm. uh, which is still a current camera. It's and it's it's great. It's it's a very it's a you know a high end point and shoot from Canon, and um, I would use it as an alter an iPhone alternative. So it's the, especially because it's got a great flash and better low light ISO properties, lo, better low light noise. So you you could take real snapshot type photos that would look good with a flash and transfer them via Wi-Fi to your phone. Um, it also has a zoom. So you could get more of a real portrait than you maybe could on an iPhone. You don't have as many portrait options, but because it's still a small sensor, it still looks kind of like an iPhone photo. So if you post it on Instagram, it isn't, it it still feels mobile. If you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, feels a bit more, you know, real life than a SLR shot. And, um, but it, it would often still get left behind because that's relatively limited use. Now we want to start pr- producing these kind of on the go casual videos. And this thing has like a flip up selfie screen and you know, it's crazy sharp. It looks awesome. Autofocus works well enough. It does all this facial tracking. That's pretty sophisticated. Uh, the, the auto features because it's a consumer camera are as usual a pain in the ass useless <laughs> yeah so a lot of the time it overrides things that i don't understand that it's doing like i'm surprised that it's you know it'll switch to jpeg mode instead of shooting raw because i switch which mode i'm shooting on like if i use the video mode it, it changes for example see i think you just illustrated the reason why i absolutely love my 35 millimeter film point shoots mm-hmm. and don't like the digitals is that like with you know like the Fuji class right like this this camera is basically it's a pro point and shoot but mm-hmm. um, when you're using it you know like there's not a lot of stuff to get in your way at all like it just has every it has exactly what you need and nothing you don't yeah and yeah, you, that's you, the thing you that point it and you press the button and <laughs> yeah I mean you can choose your aperture you know which is which is what gives it you know that extra pro feature and then you can also you know mess with the ev if you want but like pretty much after that i mean you just point the thing and shoot it and you know it does exactly what you want it to do quickly mm-hmm. and that's why i love it whereas like even with the x100 it's like there's so many things that you could do to get bogged down mm-hmm. you know it, and well, it changes hard to get the, away with anything less than that now in a digital though it'd be hard to release a digital that just does almost nothing except take a photo I don't know. I mean, I think I'd, I'd be into it. I mean, I'm serious. Like if it yeah, just did like the, just the pro stuff totally. and, and left out all the other crap, I'd be totally, totally fine with that. I have had this idea forever. And I think I talked about it on the show before that if I just had a ton of money to, you know, if I had a Kickstarter, what I would mm-hmm. make it for is a point and shoot camera that has very few buttons and has a simple set of, uh, not even a set, a simple baked in filter that had a look to it like film. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, the, you are not filter, you're not filtering whatever comes out of this camera afterwards, but it has a very clean filmic digital look and um, gives you the kind of controls that are, I mean, I think of it as being on the, the contacts that I have that has, yeah, like you set the aperture exposure compensation and that's it. And you just yeah. shoot with it. Um Maybe maybe uh, just a viewfinder and no screen, or maybe just a screen, no viewfinder. I haven't decided yet. You know what would be awesome? <laughs> is if they made that and it was like specifically like this is this these pictures will look exactly like portrait one sixty. Yeah. Yeah. I mean <laughs> you, you should sell it based on the film stock. I had a first, when I first imagined this was when Hipstomatic was big and I was like, oh Hipstomatic should just make a digital camera with all the filters in it. And then that idea started evolving, especially as I realized how over filtered those photos were. That it'd yeah. be interesting to 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 shift that a little bit. Um I don't I mean again, I don't know if it would sell. I don't know if anybody other than Cameron would buy it, but <laughs> the, no, I don't think it would, frankly. But but, I, then, I, but no, think of it as being for the Urban Outfitters crowd. So it's not a thousand dollar camera; it's a two hundred fifty dollar camera with like a good sensor. But you've stripped out a few of the features. Maybe it doesn't shoot burst mode. Maybe it doesn't have Wi Fi. It you know strip out enough features that you can get the cost down, but have really beautiful industrial design. Like the, the casing is you know, feels like, um, Leica's or contacts did in the so day. So important. 
So and important. that could be enough, you know, if it just was really beautiful and had an amazing lens and really beautiful colors, I think, I think it could be a thing. I mean, I, I like the way it sounds. Well, just sign up for my Kickstarter and you can have one. <laughs> Maybe <someday>. No. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, when I, you, you think about it, like I, I, I somewhat recall the um, X100 having these film settings. Like you could apply mm-hmm. like a Provia look to your JPEG or whatever. Um, yeah, it's in the uh, XE1. XE1, that's the one I have, right? I always forget the order of those letters. Yeah, uh, yeah, it has the same thing. So I've I've seen that come out of Fuji, which are nice. Um, but th- I also think they are they're a more um, they're less of a strong look than I'm imagining. Like they don't take it very far, really. Like yeah. it, you know, Maston Labs is a stronger filter than that. And you know, say Maston Labs or a really good Visco filter. Those are the, that's kind of what I'm imagining. Um, so you can sure. see it. It's clear, like it has clearly been affected, uh, but in a in a really great way. Yeah, interesting. I don't. I still don't know if I'd buy it because I just that's why I buy film cameras. What if you? Okay, here's the gimmick. You buy this camera and then you get um, memory cards that come with it that are different film stocks. So you go and get like they're all like pretty small. They're like 16 gigs. <laughs> And it has a LUT file, a lookup table preloaded on it. And it's like, hey, I got the Fuji 400H and I stick it in there and I just fill the card and everything on that card has that look. And then I go and I get my Portrait 400 and I stick it in and everything. What about that? I think that sounds awesome. (laughs) (laughs) No, I really do. Because I think, you know, like that has, that plays a role in how I shoot. Hmm. You know, like I, I literally try to think like, I mean, there are times where obviously there's going to always be times where you just you shoot and you go into the post process and you try to find out which look looks best. But like you know, I love yeah, thinking like, about really it before to walk out the door and be like, look, this is a black and black and white memory card day. Why not? Yeah, I, no, and it sounds like a great, especially black and white, because then you know you can actually take out your your black and white color filters and like <laughs> you know I know, you know this could work. Them. Like if somebody like Lomo did it. Because they're all about marketing more than anything, right? People buy those cameras because they look cool and they like imagining how much they're going to use it. And usually they just sit in a drawer and rust and nobody uses their <laughs> Lomos. But it, that's, you know, that's, this would be the good version of that where it's, you know, it, you, you originally buy it because it's beautiful, but then you keep using it because the images turn out great. Do you like Lomo? I like them as a company. I find them interesting. I like browsing their website. I love the LCA, which is the, the, I guess, flagship camera that mm-hmm. they started on. The LCA is wonderful. Um, most of their toy cameras, I don't care about the Holga. We have like two and they, I've never developed anything out of it. I've shot like one or two rolls and then I didn't take them in. I am um, in practical terms. I don't care about them, but I am, I'm, I'm glad they exist. I, I like, I, I like looking at them occasionally. What about you? I don't know. Like I, I've okay. So largely, I've been very much like I could give a crap, you know. Uh, but I want to like them because I really appreciate what they've done for the film market. Yeah, right. And they, they and reinvigorating are a big part of keeping it alive. Very big. And I, I, I truly believe that. And yeah. I'm, so the thing is that I've lately I've I've seen some some galleries like on Flickr or whatever when I was just like kind of bored and looking for something different. And, you know, we've come across some Lomo stuff that was like, oh, man, when used intentionally for, you know, something, then, man, it can be really, really cool effect. For sure. Um, but it's really funny because, like, when I see people apply the same exact look to a digital file, I, I just, I'm, I want to scream. Yeah, I, I've seen the toy camera as a filter inside of, oh, it's inside of this new Canon, actually. It comes pre-built with a toy camera filter. And you know what is terrible? Like no. Yeah, I want to. I want to scream. Yeah. <laughs> just you saying that alone just like makes me want to lose yeah. my mind. But you know, sometimes you know, I, some of these shots, I just saw them and I was like, man, that, that's really neat. I like that. Mm-hmm. I, I've got um, I've got some Lomo LCA shots. Maybe I'll stick one in the show notes from back when I used it, and uh, eventually it broke. Mm-hmm. Um, partly because <laughs> it's not made super well, but you know, I think I also maybe just stopped taking good enough care of it, but. Um, 
the, the LCA, I can still strongly recommend. It is a very beautiful camera. It would come out something maybe similar to the XA. Okay. The, the Olympus, which we, mm-hmm. we both like. So, um, yeah, I, you know, it's, and it's still made today. So you can buy a new one. I like that about it. Yeah, that is cool. It's uh, the story of the Lomo company, I think is really interesting because the story they tell on their website, and honestly, they are nothing but a storytelling company. That's their main mission, um, is that there was this legendary Russian camera called the Lomo LCA, and eventually it was discontinued, and they you know, they don't explicitly say this, but they act like they found a warehouse full of them and now they are reselling them. <laughs> but what it really uh, is, is they, marketing. they bought the brand probably for pennies from a camera that was somewhat obscure. I'm sure some people knew about it, but it wasn't a sensation. And then they formed the Lomographic society, which is actually the company that Lomo is, but they treat it as a, fan club basically. So they're like, we were just big fans of this camera and such big fans. We had to bring it back to life. And, uh, but in, in actual fact, they are, yeah, I mean, they're just kind of remarketing in, in old camera. Interesting. And they do that a lot though, don't they? Yeah. That's and now they've, that's kind of their thing. That's at this point. their market. Yeah. Weird. That's cool. I can get with that. I don't need. Yeah. I'm here. I'm just sending you one or two, uh, samples of when I used to use a Lomo. Yeah, and see, that's the thing is that when you, I don't know, I also think that that just film has a tendency for for effects like this. I've, I think that the the way that that it that it renders like the vignettes and everything is just it's just it's better. Oh yeah, you can't compete this, this with these vignettes. This is what a vignette should look like, and nothing digital captures it that I've ever seen. I agree. I just you know I I can't get with it. Yeah, yeah, it's the only acceptable vignette use. That's fun. And now uh, you're going to have to ask, add those to the show notes for sure, because uh, then people are going to be like, what are they talking about? <laughs> show notes can be found at stallman.com slash what? I don't shoot. I shouldn't have said that because I don't know what episode this is. Just go to cameras or whatever.com. <laughs> um, I uh, released in July. <laughs> yeah. Just go to cameras or whatever and uh, search around until you find this. <laughs> um, awesome. Yeah. So what's your thing this week? What are you into? Oh, what am I into? Uh, I have a new album that is, I'm loving. It's so cool. And uh, you can tell like I'm, I'm in my, uh, the different season, right? Because like in the, in the winter, I'm all like, you know, doom metal and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And, and like now I'm all completely in, in summer mode. So everything I'm listening to is so different. But there was this, uh, do you pay attention to Pitchfork at all? Not anymore, no. Yeah, I I struggle with them, you know, because I feel like so much of the stuff that they put out is is I used to agree with them so much. <laughs> now I'm like, I don't know. I just they gave too high of scores to too many albums that I really hate for me to trust them anymore. That's it. And also, like, I felt like they were like, I don't know, like they were hyping records that were like meant to be popular that mm-hmm. weren't actually very good. Yeah, but so it felt like a hype machine. I don't know. Yeah. I, I kind of a bad attitude about it, but like yeah. every now and then they still get, they still get it right. So like, you know, I, I, I still, I still make a point of listening to the records that they say are the best, like so the best new albums or whatever. Yeah. I check out and, their top of the year at the end of the year. Yeah. That I, I appreciate that. Cause I, I, I go through and I, I, you know, like you can usually get a sample of something and just, you know, make your decision. Um, but that they, you know, gave a, a great review to this new one called Thundercat. Which is like an hysterical name all on its own. Mm-hmm. Um, and the record is called The Beyond slash Where the Giants Roam. And uh, it's got this um, classic California soul funk feel to it. And it's just, it's just so dope, man. And it's only like 15 minutes long, the whole Wait, thing. The whole album? And it's only six songs. Oh, okay. And one of the songs is is forty three seconds, and another one is a a minute and thirteen seconds. So it's like it's it's a quick listen, you know. It's like it's not like this, you know. It's not like a huge investment, you know, of your time or anything. And um, have you ever heard of Shuggy Otis? Ah, oh, write that down. <laughs> Shuggy Otis is this uh, California soul musician from the sixties um, and seventies. 
his dad was uh God, what's his dad's name something otis he was a he was a huge producer um very well known and yeah of course i forgot so that's really convenient um anyway like shuggy otis had this this record that was just amazing called inspiration information and uh, you know like all these years ago it was um it was re-released on uh, david burns label i think it was like luca bop or something like that <laughs> luaca bop or and uh it's yeah no i have a lot of half information don't i um the, but you really did this, your homework on this one eh? I just came out of nowhere. So I'm like, you know, this is just literally coming out of the heart. You know, <laughs> I did not prep the idea. Um, but that record just, it, you know, when I, when I first heard it, I was like, wow, this is cool. And, you know, I didn't know anything about it, but it was like a re-release from, you know, this from forever ago. It was like from the 1970. And I, I guess Shuggy was like 19 or 18 or something like that when he recorded the record and he played all of the instruments, you know, um, well, not every single instrument on the record, but like he, generally did almost all of it so mm-hmm. kind of like prince in that way and uh man it's just it's it's remained in my in my like desert island collection you know just because it's like one of those records that no matter what if i put it on i feel good mm. you know it makes me happy and um it has songs that that i guarantee you'll recognize you'll you'll recognize them because they've been covered right. they've been oh, used okay. in, in commercials and different things you know so like um you'll definitely recognize like at least one or two of the tracks. Um, but this, this new one, Thundercat, reminds me so much of Shuggy Otis without it feeling like he ripped it off. You know, it just, I don't know. It's so good. So mm-hmm. if anybody out there likes stuff like that, get this. It's, it's hot. <laughs> well, send me a link. It sounds I like will. I have 15 minutes to, to spend on a new album. Oh, I love it. I love it. And the, and the, um, the lyrics are, are really, they're ironic. So you'll, I love that too. I have like a tiny bit of music to talk about today, but I'll be really fast. Is yeah. uh, Apple music came out. If you didn't know, did you try it? I have not tried it. Uh, well, you should three months free. Why not? Yeah, uh, in that case, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> you can get some free music for a few months. And because of it, they, they really have been pushing, um, the band Alabama shakes. Have you listened to them? Yet? Oh yeah. They're awesome. Yeah. yeah it's great. Um, I haven't been really, I haven't been like excited about much new lately, but I, I've only listened to the album twice and I really loved it both times. So I'm going to, I'm going to put it on heavy rotation for a little while. Yeah. And you're talking about the newest one. Yeah. Uh, sound and color. Yeah. It's so good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Really good. I actually went back and got uh, boys and girls because I loved sound and color so much. Yeah, I, I might do that too. Oh, it's great. So um, good. Like my, almost like you almost, I almost don't believe it. <laughs> right. And you know, that, it's, like, that, that it's like kind of becoming popular. I really like that. You know, it's good music. It's good, wholesome music. And it's real. It's getting uh, promoted heavily. So I love yeah, that. But, but I, you know, like I, I feel like it's, it's, uh, it ventures into that, like that zone where, uh, oh man, <laughs> what's the band's name with Dan Auerbach? Oh, I don't know. You don't, of course you do. Uh, oh, Black, Black Keys. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, that was my comparison. Once you were done talking, I was going to say, it reminds me of that I was very happy when the Black Keys became popular. Yeah. And then not. <laughs> they became not popular? No, I became unhappy oh. with them after, you know, because like, right. uh, you know. I stopped paying I attention, know. but I, I well, never got unhappy. I don't know. It's weird. It's like, you know, um, it makes me remember like, you know, being a young man in my teens and twenties mm-hmm. being like, you know, really just really super into the beastie boys. Yeah. And thinking like, man, this band is the shit period. Mm-hmm. You know, thinking like there's nobody else that is creating stuff this fresh and original anywhere. Yeah. I have something that to say about the beastie shit. boys after this. I just don't okay. forget. So go on. And so then, you know, fast forward to like 1998 or whatever, I guess it was the, like the intergalactic, that era and um which that you know whatever that record is called i can't even remember the name of that record <laughs> the intergalactic the, the album with intergalactic on it yep that's right yeah um when that one came out i you know like i remember like being like really excited about a new beastie boys record coming out and then you know like right when it came out they played and hello uh, nasty, I, by the way oh hello nasty thank you they played at like uh rfk stadium which is in dc it's a big you know big stadium anyway like um I remember being in the, 
like in the the parking lot and all these like you know frat boys and and bros were all like in the parking lot with their with their dirty white hats and stuff and like they were all listening to mm-hmm. the beastie boys and like i felt so alienated yeah. i just felt like what happened but are you, are you are you like that you let the fans ruin music for you Yes. <laughs> Which I understand is a thing. I mean, I've had that feeling, but I've also tried to conquer it. Um, I mean, I think nobody, time, time you, you're the it. only one that, that loses by turning music off because of that reason. You know, it's letting well, the fans win, letting the yeah. bros win. <laughs> I think it's, it's, it comes down to a relationship. You're like, how can these people that, that, um, you know, like I have lots of bro friends, so don't get me wrong. Like, it's not like you bros are terrible. You know, it's like there's just you know there are certain you know like groups of of people that tend to be you know less individual, mm-hmm. and that tends to to grate on my nerves a bit. Sure. And and so like when when you think of something as is like uh, profoundly creative as the Beastie Boys were, you know, and then you think about that being like really commonplace. Like that, that makes my heart hurt, frankly, mm-hmm. you know, and like, it makes me question There's myself. Interesting interviews you can watch of original Sex Pistols fans talking to the oh. press just as the Sex Pistols broke. Oh, I can just only imagine. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be weird. Hey, like you're going to see them, like you're, you're hooked on heroin and you go to see them at some junkie club, uh, on the weekends and all of a sudden they are on the radio. <laughs> um, Surreal. Yeah. yeah. Very strange. Yeah. It makes no sense at all. I wanted to say about the Beastie Boys. Do you remember when they were, I think they were so ahead of their time in so many ways. They put out an album that you could customize. So it was the anthology album, which was released in stores as regular, but you could also go online and choose your Beastie Boys greatest hits. What? I don't it was remember awesome. That. Yeah, I got it in in high school before I owned a CD burner, and so it was oh, only, that's right. I'm like a lot older than you. Yeah, you, yeah, we are different ages. <laughs> I was in high school at the time. You were, you know, you're just retiring for the first time. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you're in your late forties, and uh, <laughs> and the yeah, you was, was super cool though. You could just like choose all the tracks and they would basically burn two CDs for you, but it would be pressed with like the track titles that you had selected. And, uh, it's really cool. I don't think I have mine anymore, but that's, yeah, that's an interesting approach, isn't it? Yeah, it was, it was awesome. So mine had, uh, the first CD cause it was a double album and I made the first CD, all the hits that I knew. And the second one, just random titles that sounded cool that I'd never heard before. It was a great experience. That's awesome. Yeah. Also, I, the Beastie Boys have an amazing live show. I did see them once and it was so so good yeah i saw them a couple of times actually just, no wait i saw them twice they they, they do you remember they did the like kind of oh, not blues album what was it like funky instrumental riff album yeah sounds from the way out or whatever oh yeah so they were playing a music festival and would play one set as the beastie boys but then played like four sets as that band which is kind of not the beastie boys but it so is well, I mean, it is like, yeah, experimenting is a huge characteristic of the Beastie Boys. But it's funny because on that stage where they're playing their the, uh, adult contemporary stuff, nobody was there watching. Adult contemporary, are you shitting me? <laughs> and then they are playing their hits at night and it's packed and everybody's freaking out. That's okay. hysterical. Yeah. I mean, I'm glad. I loved that they played around with stuff. I just did not care about that album. So, All right. So let me ask you, which was your favorite Beastie Al- Boys album? album? I spent the most time with that anthology. So I have a very weird perspective of them because I just had a mash of tracks in one place that I didn't really know where they came from. Since then I've gone back though. And I've, I've spent some time with Paul's boutique, which, um, you know, has good stuff. Yeah. Paul's is fun. Um, ill communication like still mm-hmm. stands in mm-hmm. my, in my mind as being like the, the, the pinnacle, the definitive. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. Like there's, and that has some of those songs that will never stop being played. Like you can go yeah. to a club and, and, and forever and you're still going to hear somebody like put on a remix of girls or like, Hey ladies is going to get sampled into. Or sabotage even. Wait, am I mixing up which albums are. You're, yeah, you're sab- mixing up. Uh, you're oh, mixing yeah, yeah, up no, was, uh, license were, to ill with yeah. ill communication. 
Okay. Yeah. So sabotage is ill communication. Yes. Okay. I got it. Yeah. And like sure shot. Yeah, uh, exactly. And, and uh. <laughs> well, I hope every listener is a fan of the beastie boys. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But wait, I want to, I want to end this on a photography note. Cause I have a camera okay. thing to talk about that. I really want to get to. And it is the, the Sony a seven R Mark II. Have you looked at it? Of course I've looked at it. I've not held it. Well, or I don't, I don't know if many people have that. I'm not sure at the time of recording if it's in stores yet, really. It's unavoidable though to talk about. Like yeah. it's, it's literally everyone's talking about it. Yeah. Well, have you read that article that's going around of how they may have just changed everything? No. Okay. Well, <laughs> this is interesting. Yeah. So I, I think it's this one article that's really shaped my perspective on it, but the idea is that they might have cracked a lot of the big problems of why a mirrorless camera can't become the next DSL, like the DSLR killer, right? Um, the biggest thing by far is the focusing to me. So it has, well, it has great autofocus apparently, you know, so it does, it, uh, it can track things pretty well, but what's really interesting is it can do it for third party lenses. So now all of your Canon lenses on this camera will be full autofocus. Uh, I think equal to the Sony's or nearly equal to them. Um, but the tracking is what's really interesting about it is that it's not using a second set of sensors the way that a SLR is right. An SLR is doing all of its autofocus from autofocus only sensors. That's all they do is they look for, I think it's converging lines. I'm not good with the science of any of this, but like, you know, they basically look for contrasty lines and they can hit that spot really quickly, but with somewhat like less accuracy Mm -hmm. And what the uh, the autofocus system in the A7R does is that it's looking at the final image, right? The whole sensor is dedicated to the focus system. So as the computer has gotten a lot better on it, it's able to recognize faces and it'll live track the eyes in the image and select a point on the nearest eye to the camera. And the 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 accuracy comes in because it's focusing based on the final image right it's not looking at a secondary sensor that may or may not be calibrated perfectly to the lens it's judging the focus based on the final image like it can see what the sensor sees and if that's sharp then your final image will be exactly that sharp what so yeah it's going to like i said third party lenses uh really interesting uh auto tracking and potentially like kind of perfect accuracy. Maybe we'll see. Um, and then uh, well, that kind of takes some of the skill out of it. <laughs> dude, I, I would, I would take it. I mean, I, I have talked about before my struggles with autofocus and I am using multiple different cameras. The five D Mark three is one of the best autofocus cameras out there, right? Like this, this is not, contested. Everybody kind of agrees. It does great at autofocus, but you know what? I can just sit there and keep refocusing on the same point and it will be exactly accurate at least half the time, Mm -hmm. but you know, 10% of the time it's completely wrong. And 20% of the time it's just not ideal. You know, it's kind of at the tip of the nose instead of the, on the eye or it's, it's hitting the ear and it's, it just could be so much better. Um, and we all kind of live with it. And I think it's like the tack sharp of lenses, like what we accept as being super accurate can get a lot better. And I'm hoping that that happens with this new generation. Interesting. Yeah. So I'm going to link to that article in the, um, in the show notes, I think it was on DP review. Cool. Um, anyway, I'm really excited about this camera. I'm definitely going to take it for a spin and see if it works. My concerns are that it won't shoot fast enough. Uh, that could just cause that was my problem with the Fuji, but it's probably not at all something to worry with. Uh, like it couldn't, the memory card sort of couldn't keep up. I'm guessing cause SDs are often a bit slower than CFs, but hmm. anyway, yeah, that's it. Cool. Thanks dude. Yeah. Good to talk to you again. Yeah. See you sometime. See you. Yeah. See you next week in a few more weeks. <laughs> See you next podcast.